Creepy Culture, CM Life's scariest podcast, where we discuss horror movies, video games, music, and more. I'm your host, Stephanie Chipman. And I'm your host, Tyler Clark, and today we're going to talk about literary horror. And as far as um, books go, I know our generation tends to be a little bit of a, a bit of a deviation from that, from reading in general. And I, I, I hate to say that we're not a very... Um, literate generation because that's just not true um but i think it takes a different form yes we definitely read a lot less than past generations a lot less than we should maybe but um there are a lot of good horror books there definitely are and i feel like a lot of people are missing out so we're going to talk about a few of our favorites point out ones that you should probably go check out and just Talk about, in general, literary horror. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that I really wanted to point out here is that we, we're not, we're, it's not necessarily you have to go out and read these books. We know that um, audiobooks are really in now, and that um, companies like Audible, you know, from Amazon, um, also have, not sponsored, by the way. Um, <laughs> they we also, wish. They, they bridge that gap where we don't necessarily always want to sit down and read a book. We like to multitask and listen to audiobooks, and that's actually how I um, reread up on some of my old favorite horror, horror movies, horror books. Yeah, even graphic novels they do, like The Walking Dead, which was a huge success. It's reading, but there's pictures, so it's a lot easier to digest sometimes. Yeah, my fiancé actually owns quite a few of those books. They're very good. They're beefy, too. They're thick. Yes. You'd be surprised. I've never seen a graphic novel that thick. But um, I just wanted to, wanted to touch on that because I think it's really important to point out that, like, our generation reads. I just feel like we read in a different way and we consume media in a different way. Well, we read. It was probably wrong to say that we don't read as much as past generations because we do. Mm-hmm. It's just on our phones. Yeah, I We mean, read articles. We read texts. We read all of these things. may not be in full sentences or full words even, but we do read a lot. A lot more than given credit, I would say. We definitely do. Um, and I feel like I, I do want to touch on how we've actually talked about a lot of books indirectly on the show already. Um, we've talked about Frankenstein, which was originally a book. We talked about Dracula. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula is one of the foundations of horror films in general, but also literary horror. So we've actually have discussed these books before. A few of them, yes. Just not as in that form. Most really good horror movies come from books, like a lot of them. Oh, some of my most favorite horror movies come from books like It, right? Or, um, gosh... And I said the Dracula. Mist. The Mist. Oh my gosh. It's a fantastic movie. Pet Cemetery. We're just we're just shouting out Stephen King books now, but I mean I love Stephen we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah yes. But how about we we start with a very easy to pick up and I know one of your favorite book series. 
she's wearing the shirt. She's got her book with her. Goosebumps. I, I, brought, I brought them all. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to talk about Goosebumps because it means a lot to me in in terms of reading because I, as a child, I was an avid reader. I loved to read, and I was a very efficient reader as well. <laughs> so I could um, I could go through a book fairly quickly. Not as I'm not as quick nowadays, but I I was really in love with books in general. And one of the first ways I was introduced to horror in general was Goosebumps. And I know a lot of people that are similar age to us have experienced the same thing with Goosebumps and Michigan Chillers and series like that that kind of break these stories up and make them scary scary enough at the time, but not overwhelming, not... You know, when your parents kick you out of the room so they can watch Shaun of the Dead. And then you sneak back in. <laughs> I can never live that down. <laughs> but it is like that, where you feel like horror isn't for you when you're younger. Well, yeah. And this is very much like kids' first horror book. Or when they had the show on TV that was like kids' first horror movie. It wasn't that scary, but it did feel creepy to you as a kid. And even then, some of those shows are still a little creepy. Not scary, goofy a little bit, but some some bits are creepy that gnome one. The gnome, I, I love the gnomes. That is my favorite. Um, the 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 episode that scared me a lot as a child was um, Werewolf of Fever Swamp. Um, werewolves have always scared me, and I, I've said this multiple times. There are not good enough werewolf movies out there, but I feel like Goosebumps did it really well, and they do it in their traditional way, but. It, it really did, the imagery did scare me. And I think it was because one of the characters actually looked like somebody that I had a class with at the time. And I, I actually ended up graduating with him. And I won't, I won't shout him out because he did not know that I made this connection. But he looked just like him. And it freaked me out. I was convinced he was a werewolf. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, on to the books more specifically. I recently read... And, you know, I say recently because I actually remember these stories quite well because I have watched the series multiple times, even as an adult. Oh, yeah, of course. And and I've reread the books. You know, I used to own quite a few of them. And um, the book that I read recently, though, was, um, gosh, Welcome to Murder House. And I began to, like, remember some of those tropes that Goosebumps brings with it. And I think it's like it's kind of like that nuclear family trope. You don't ever, I, I can't quite remember, but I don't think there are any, like, single parents in any of the Goosebumps books. I don't think, there's always opposite-gendered siblings. It's very rarely one child. It's always opposite-gendered siblings. And the younger one's always annoying. And the older one always thinks that they're, like, the little adult. Yeah. And they so always you have just a brought me back into, like, a wave of nostalgia. I remember the, the vampire breath one. Is exactly what you just said. Yeah, wow, I did not make that connection. They're all like that. And huh. they're all very similar in that way. And they, and I love the dog trope, too, because I'm thinking about some of the names for the dogs. There was a dog called Trigger. There's a dog called Killer. Like, kind of odd dog names. And I don't know if that was intentional on um, R.L. Stein's part, but kind of interesting to, like, notice that there's a kind of a formula to the way that the stories are built. And they always get themselves into trouble and try to find a way out of it. And there's always, like, a little twist ending, too. Right? Yes, yes. Um, it was very Goosebumps. 
like uh, the girl who cried monster, right? Um, spoiler alert, turns out she's a monster too. Didn't know her whole family are monsters. And she was so rude to the man that she accused of being a monster because, you know, he's one of them. <laughs> so just those little, like, he's got to put the twist ending at the end. And there, there are good, like, morals in most of them oh, yeah. for the most part because it is a kid's book. It's like, all right, don't be mean to people that are different. But in this case, it's like monsters and stuff <laughs> like that. But, yeah, I mean, it's a very entry-level horror experience, which I think the books do really well. I want to talk about Night of the Living Dummy, that yeah, one, yeah, Slappy. Yeah. That's like Chucky and Annabelle for children. And, and what is the name of that horror movie with um, Dead Silence? Have you seen oh. that film? I feel like that always kind of brings me back. It's about a dummy. I'm not even joking. You would love it. It's a scary, scary film. I probably film. would. You, I, I'll, I'll send you a link. All right. Um, but, yeah, I, it kind of, when I watched that as an adult, I was, like, thinking about Slappy, right? I was yeah. thinking about those old tropes, those, those uh, my first werewolf book, right? Um, and, you know, there's been other werewolf Goosebumps books, but that's the one that got me. And there kind of are those like series of tropes, and you know, you were you before we were recording, you were telling me about um, the zombie high school, right? Yeah, there's one of the newer um, R.L. Stein Goosebumps books was like this weird zombie high school book, and it's a it's a departure from like the original covers to the books, so I didn't like that as much, but I picked it up and I gave it a try because I liked zombies at the time. Go figure. And um, it's a weird book about a kid who accidentally goes into this high school that is for zombies. And he is the only human there. And he needs to just, like, try to survive until, like, the end of, e- end of the year, till summer vacation or something. And um, he, he just has to do, like, horror makeup on himself to make himself look like a zombie and fake cut off his arm and stuff like that. And I mean, it's, I guess it's sort of about like fitting in, in high school. I guess it is. I didn't think about it like that. There are like a lot of parallels in those books. Of course, I was a kid and I was like, ooh, zombies. <laughs> it wasn't really, man, this is really deep. But now thinking back, it's like, okay, a lot of these had some good like things that I probably didn't think about. No, and there is a way in which um, Arl Stein makes it relatable for his age group, right? Um, the, you know, welcome to murder house, right? That's, it's about a family moving to a new place for the first time. And, and the beginning of the book is really just about that. It's just about these children adjusting to this new neighborhood and them having to make friends. And yeah, the neighborhood's a little weirder than most, right? <laughs> but it's, there is those, those connections where we, we miss our old friends, where, we don't really like our new school or all the neighborhood kids, they, they might be dead. I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> Did you have in your school, like, the the reading tests on the computer? I think so, yeah. Goosebumps was my way around that. <laughs> I'd watch the show or I'd, like, quick read the book and just get some points real quick. Because you had to have, like, a certain amount of points. We had, we had trimesters. 
And by the end of the trimester, you had to have like a certain amount of points. So we'd just run to the library, which had computers in it, log in and just like start taking 30 tests in a day because we didn't read. Which, I mean, thanks. The show was pretty accurate to the books. No, they really were. It was pretty spot on and honestly good effects for TV at the time. It was not bad. But it wasn't too much either. Yeah. Like, um, I always think about the Monster Blood episode, and mm. I don't know if it, you've seen this one, but it's it's pretty accurate. I mean, and, you know, the Monster Blood's obviously CGI, but it's really cool. I mean, when it gets bigger, you know. Don't well, Like it. the Horrorland the one. Movies. They oh, had such the cool Land. outfits and, like, costumes and stuff. She's wearing the Horrorland shirt. Yeah, I just, I just got it the other day, actually. I just thought it was funny. And um, one of the things I did want to bring up about this this series is my favorite version of the series was the choose your own scare, right? <laughs> Reader beware, you choose the scare. And I, I got my, my the only Goosebumps book I have left of my Goosebumps choosy, collection. The uh, cheesy taglines. It's, it's, of course, it's Night in Werewolf Woods, the choose your own scare, which... You like the werewolves, huh? I do, and I think it's one of those things where I actually do like being scared a little bit. Because werewolves are one of the things that scares me the most, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, I, it's very interesting. I don't know if um, you've ever read a book like this. I've read a few of them. I don't know if I've ever read a Goosebumps one. Um, I couldn't tell you which books I read, though. It's it's great because, um, you know, you got to hold the page where you make the decision, right? You're like, oh... Okay, I'll hold this page and then I'll go to. Oh, that's a bad ending. Oh, let's go to the other page. <laughs> you know, like oh, I got my hand in like three different spots trying to make sure I don't die at the end of this book. So it's it's kind of an interesting concept, and I really loved interacting with the book. And I feel like this was like one of the first times that I had that experience. And you know, I experience that a lot more in video games now. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like the until dawn of reading. And you know, I. I was recently thinking about it and making those connections is that I saw that I really liked books like this and I went on to enjoy similar things being able to like make that decision and kind of add your own suspense to it and make it your own so and I think Goosebumps was one of the few books that I've ever had to do that or had the opportunity to do it I think that's really cool and really special and I don't know why more book series didn't do it yeah I mean I think it must have been because it was, like, gimmicky in the sense that, like, it takes a lot of pages. You can't have as long a story if you have to have so many pages for so many different decisions. Oh, yeah. I got to get all the endings, though, Tyler. I get all the endings because I get all the wrong endings You're speedrunning, too, skipping the dialogue. Oh, God. (laughs) It is. Some of the dialogue is a little cheesy, but, again, it's not for people my age. It's no, it's for kids. It's easy digestible content, and I, and it's still interesting to to listen to and read. The audiobook of um, the Welcome to Haunted, Welcome to Murder House. I, I don't I don't want to call it haunted, but um, it was only two and a half hours long. Uh, yeah, yeah like those are small books. A yeah. whole book and two and a half hours. But it was good. It was a good read. I, there was definitely some repeated, like, descriptors happening. And it was easier for me to notice when you're, like, listening to it instead of reading it. But it was good enough. It was, it was, 
a good refresher. Well, he's got to watch out not to use too big of descriptors where a kid wouldn't get it, mm-hmm. but enough to expand their vocabulary. Yeah, definitely. And it's still very visual. He's talking about, you know, like flesh melting from a skull and revealing the dark skull underneath. And like, he doesn't have to say bloody to like get that visual image there. So I feel like he's talented in that aspect that he can make it still visual, but not disturbing or traumatizing. Well, he got like a whole generation of us to pick up a book. Yeah. With covers like that, with stories like that, and names and the goofy, like, alliteration and reader beware and stuff like that. He drew in a whole generation of kids into reading horror books, which I think is really cool. Super cool. And like I said, I had a whole collection. I loved the series. It was... It was a really easy way for kids our age to get into horror and be interested in it and have a version of it that feels like it is for them. Because, like you said, I mean, when my when my dad was watching scary movies, I wasn't allowed to be in the room. Yeah. Or I could only watch, like, Gremlins and It, you know, where they kind of, they're, they're not horrible. And um, this was just a way for me to have my own horror that was like, it's about kids my age. It's about, it's in situations that feel familiar to me, so... All in all, I I'm, I still really love it, and I, I probably will get back into it again. I'm definitely not getting rid of this book, even though it... Oof. Look at how yellow this page is. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I I, do, it's part of the charm. And I, I miss the old design. I think you made a good point, and especially since I've been like researching it more for the episode, I noticed that a lot of the new designs, I don't like them as much. They're a little bit cheesier. Yeah. Whereas this, this, is, this is spooky. Like the old design, it's retro and old, and I, it, it just hits a certain note that is so perfect, that I don't know why they changed it. And these these books were more for kids. I feel like as I grew up, I sort of, um, the Michigan Chillers ones, those seemed older, Mm -hmm. not quite like adult level yet, but like more teenage middle school. That's when I started reading those. Well, it was more relatable, too. I know I read one about um, um, a a Yeti, I guess. Yes, that is like the one that pops out in my head. I cannot remember for the life of me where it is or like what the name is. Um, And it's like, oh, I've been to Traverse City. Like, of course I want to like read the Traverse City one. And it's funny because I do remember them having a very similar design to Goosebumps. But it definitely was more specific. Yes, and this <laughs> terror stalks Traverse City. That is the Yeti one. Can I see it? Yes. Oh my gosh. So this is horrible. But we had a table in our house, and that eventually kept prevented a table from wobbling in our house. And I just remember. <laughs> I remember everything has a use. I did read it multiple times though, and it did spook me. Um, but I think we're we're also we should also address that. American Chillers, there's the American Chillers, and then there's Michigan Chillers, right? Yes. Michigan was first. Was it? Yeah, I believe so. He did all of Michigan because he's from Michigan. Oh. And then he branched out and did America because wider audience. The United States of America. Because, yeah. (laughs) Not the the Not the Americas. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's so cool to be like, Sinister spiders of Saginaw. I was like, I was just in Saginaw. I didn't see any sinister spiders. 
There's definitely some in there. I, I've, I've heard all about it. Do they got one for, like, Petoskey? That'd be great. I think so. I feel like most Michiganders have met this man, too. Because I've met him. I don't. I have never met him. He has, like, a little shack. <laughs> Probably what? not shack, but um, he's, he's got, got a little place where he writes his books you and You think, stuff. like, a cabin, a nice cabin by the lake? Probably. Sure. I, I prefer shack, but... See, that's just reminding me of Werewolf of Fever Swamp, where that old man lives in a shack in the middle of the swamp. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like these books were also... Their ideas were farther out. It's Poltergeist of Petoskey. Oh, that's fantastic. And the cover looks very familiar, so I guarantee I got it on my, you know, the... What is it? The little like reading day or whatever where you get a free yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Um, these books were longer. These were like two or three Goosebumps books in one. So it was a bigger story, a lot more to do. They had aliens. Aliens attack Alpina. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but I remember that one specifically. That one had like a good story. One that I could probably read now and still go, wow, that... Had a lot of twists and turns. I did not see that coming. Whereas Goosebumps is more like beat by beat, but it is for kids. This is, seems more like young adult. Well, and it could bridge that gap. Yeah, this us. is like and the next step. Well, like I said, Goosebumps feels like it has a formula to it. And, you know, I didn't see that when I was younger, but it does get a little samey as an adult. Yes. Whereas, you know, like I said, it is a very good beginner start and then we can move on to michigan chillers and then we can start feeling like we can get into books by stephen king yeah and i mean like the show and stuff like that that was good for adults too like my parents were like okay yeah you can watch goosebumps that's fine (laughs) it's like well i'll watch that that's fine i i still enjoy it i still watch it i mean i think it was on hulu for a second not a sponsor but um I yeah. wish. It is, it's great to binge because it, you really, it just it's adds Netflix. special elements. Is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Not Hulu. Also not sponsored. When, but when, when could you be. have like four different ones, you just, it doesn't even feel, it just feels like they're all the same. But I have ads on my Hulu, so. Yeah, that's same. But, um, yes, that seems like the next step. And then you take the plunge into adult horror movies. Or books. I'm in movies. Where am I? It's hard. A lot of, there are a lot, many of the really good movies are, were books. So, like we said earlier, it's. Yeah, I'm staring at it and I'm like, that's a movie. Wait, no, that's a book. It's that's both. actually four movies. <laughs> if you think about it. There's two movies for each part. And each in the of first, the remakes. In, in the, the original, it was in two sections. Oh, was it really? The version that we grew up watching meld them together yeah because it was like a tv special type well, you thing. can actually you notice it more when you watch it there is like a pause in the middle yeah they of both the have films. it in like the same part where it's like kids now they're adults but the first the first movie really mixes it, oh, does it? I, I, um in the first movie they you see flashbacks and then flash forwards and there's kind of a mixture of it whereas the new film divides it I've not seen that movie in a long time. You really should, because I actually prefer the original. I do do prefer that Pennywise. Nothing against Bill Skarsgård, but that is my Pennywise. 
Oh, and I got to admit, the newest one is scarier. He is scarier? Significantly scarier. I just like the old one because I just like him. He's so good. Tim Tim Curry's great. (laughs) I'd love to to meet Bill Skarsgård, though. He seems like such a down-to-earth guy, but just look creepy as hell. Yeah, apparently he can really do those th- that thing with his eyes. Yes. That it, is It scared fantastic. Bill Hader really hardcore, apparently, on set. <laughs> anyway, we keep Bill talking Hader about was great. Sorry. Yeah. Um, actually, the It book is really interesting because there's, um, there's a scene in the book that has never been represented in any of the movies. You're talking about the turtles? Will be. In It? I'm talking about, there's like... A weird oh, sex scene. Oh, yeah, the weird kid sex scene. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, we won't go too far into it, but it Stephen is... Stephen King is a an, weird guy. It's an interesting thought, and I've actually... I've never read the book um, because I've heard it's really slow. Um, it's really thicker than House of Leaves, but um, it um, it just... I, I know there, there was a reason behind it, and there actually is, like, a, a reasoning that he had for each character, why this happened... And that's whatever, but he can't. He also can't expect people to want to watch that in a movie. Well, yeah, there are. I've listened to the book. Mm. I've listened to the book while I don't even know what I was playing at the time, but playing a game, and I remember it. It has been a while, and again, I was like multitasking, so I don't have all of it in my head. But there, there was like a weird subplot there. And I think they sort of touched on it in the newer uh, It movie. But, like, there were turtles, right? Mm-hmm. And there were turtles throughout. And in the end, there's, like, this weird turtle being thing that is, like... Because Pennywise is the eater of worlds. And he's basically darkness in the world. And the turtle, I think, is, like, light. It is like the yin to his yang or something. Basically, God comes in to help them the at turtle? the end. Yeah. That is so weird. It, it's something along those lines. And they do the, um, I forget what it's called, but their little like seance thing or whatever they have to do mm-hmm. to yeah. like stop him. But in the book, I forget what it is. They have to like kiss him or something. It is weird. It is so odd. It is like a fever dream, and I don't remember it all, so it's even more of a fever dream for me. But, like, Stephen King's books are weird. But they have a lot of symbolism in them. Yes. And I, I do I, – I hate to judge them too harshly because um, actually the newest book references that scene that I was talking about um, where he is upset that they don't want to add that to the ending of the book. Um. You know, Bill. Bill is supposed to be a representation of Stephen. Yes. Um, and there's kind of a reference to it, which I thought was really interesting. But there, there's a lot of meaning behind what he writes and some of the strange, more strange aspects of his books. It is my understanding. Yeah. And with the turtles, obviously, there must be more meaning because he just doesn't put things in his book without meaning. There's like a lot of meaning and stuff, and I cannot for the life of me get into that like i don't know um like i I can't remember it i mean and this whole podcast could be about that one book because it is such a long book and such an in-depth book but like his other books as well there's these are not meant for kids 
No. I read Cujo in like middle school and I, or yeah, no, it was middle school. No, it explains a lot. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but that is a weird book and I did not understand it at the time. Like I had to go back through and read it and it's like, wow, there is some weird stuff in here. That is not all right. Some adult themes. Yeah, and I could just, you know, get it from the library, whatever. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Yeah, um, I guess they didn't get it, because, like, that book is not just about a rabid dog. It is, but it isn't. There is racial stuff. There is, oh, the wife is cheating on her husband. And that whole kid is having trauma, and... The guy that it, she's cheating on him with is, like, a horrible person. He breaks into their house at one point, does some weird things in the house. No one's there. He just kind of all over. I don't know. It is it is a very weird book. And you don't really get that in the movies. No, and I, I definitely do think that the movies are a little bit censored i hate to say censored but they are toned down in yes. comparison to the books as i understand it and i i have never fully read a stephen king book i hate to say that because i actually really want to read pet cemetery super yes. bad apparently that one has a lot more that they don't get into in the movies see that's what it's getting me too and um you know obviously i grew up watching the original pet cemetery but the remake was had a different ending yeah. And I really want to know what the true ending was meant to be. Because um, I feel like there is a lot of symbolism in that film as well. And I I know there's more symbolism in the book. That's why I want to read The Mist. Oh, The Mist. Because I'm like, oh, if that's different, how different? Oh, that is such a brutal book. That is such a movie. I've only seen the film. But um, very different sort of film. And with everything being in the mist, you don't get a visual aspect in a book. So how do they handle that? Probably It's probably better. Because just like Lovecraft books, it's like an unspeakable horror. How do you bring that across on screen if it is an unspeakable thing? Cosmic horror. I don't know. Because like they did it with having it like... Weird tentacle monsters coming out of the mist, and you don't really see what that tentacle's attached to, which is cool, but, like, I think the book might handle it better. I think in that case, it might be, like, he doesn't describe it, so it leaves up to your imagination, which is what a lot of, um, H.P. Lovecraft does. Like, um, H.P. Lovecraft was a troubled man. <laughs> He had a lot of weird stuff. He was incredibly racist, classist. He was he was of the um, New England idea that he was of, like, pure blood. Oh, gross. So his horror is, like, fear of the unknown sort of thing. Makes sense. He, he has a book that's called Cool Air. It's him being afraid of, like, air conditioning being invented. He doesn't really know how science works because he didn't get, a, like, a fantastic education. He was not math-inclined, as it was put. 
Um, so he doesn't know how a lot of things work. Uh, he likes to talk about Euclidean geometry, which is geometry on a like on a curve. Okay. Which, if you think about it, is everything on the Earth, because the Earth is a globe. Sorry, flat earthers. But um, so it's misguided. But his ideas of this cosmic horror are good in concept and theory and have been taken and morphed and used in so many different things like cthulhu you see everywhere now that is so intensely popular oh uh, my sister's a big fan she actually wants to get an hp lovecraft tattoo yeah which is crazy because hp lovecraft died unknown no one cared like he no one had read his books or, like, cared or – which is so weird because now he's such a pop culture, like, not icon. His work is the icon. He was not a fantastic person. I don't. I would not like to call him an icon. But, like, his books, like um, Shatter, Shadow Over Innsmouth is my favorite, is about, like, um, this man coming into this town – he, he needs to go through the town, and it's like a really cheap bus fare. But this town is, like, weird. And you get, like, an exposition dump beforehand, and it pretty much spoils the book, where it's like, yeah, they pray to some fish god and want to become fish people and live under the sea. And it's basically like a town of fish people who all have, like, giant eyes and, like, droopy mouths, and they look deformed. He's racist, so yeah. it's very it's it's very thinly veiled racism, but it's a cool book if you think about it as in not racism. Yeah, and it's I, I obviously it's a very old book, and that plays into it as well. I certainly hope if he was born in this day and age, he would feel differently. Oh, I think he would. Uh, um, maybe who, some who people knows? are just bad. Yeah, but. Yeah, you can kind of see the racism, but you can also see it from a, a point of view of going somewhere new for the first time, right? You know, yeah. going back to our Goosebumps book here, you know, going to some a new town for the first time and maybe their traditions scare you or you don't understand them at first and you have to learn about them. And so maybe we can take a different lesson here where, you know, maybe some of those ideas that he had can be viewed in a better way yeah that's what most people have done with it like they've made um lovecraft like shows books movies other things based on this this fundamental idea of cosmic horror and his way of storytelling which is great but leave out some of the nastier little secrets that should probably be kept well, and maybe we should be giving less credit to H.P. Lovecraft and more credit to, like, the Kraken in general. Well, yeah. Um, and just maybe take his name out of it a little bit. Because, honestly, that's just not the kind of... He was a good writer, but a not fantastic guy. That's true. Which comes into, like, the thing of separate the art from the artist. Yep. Which is a whole can of worms that we're not going to open. But... That is, it is a discussion to be had. Yeah, and there's still, you can still enjoy something without condoning 
the bad parts of the person who created that something. It's more of a, a very uh, vague way to say it, but yeah, you know, I, I still think that his literary works add something to our culture. Obviously it has, it's made a huge impact. And I, I do very much enjoy that you like educated me on that because you really do see it. You do see the concepts yeah. that he put into it. It's not a secret. It's like, when you take a step back and look at Goosebumps, you're like, okay, well, this is a very good lesson for children. Yeah. And then you take a look back even further, and it's like, well, H.P. Lovecraft's is a very not good message. Yeah. And just because somebody's different than you doesn't mean they're a bad person. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're a weirdo. It doesn't mean they're alien. Well, he was just a very troubled guy who was scared his whole life. His, I think his mother died very young, and that affected him greatly. And um, then he moved to New York with his wife, who was basically the breadwinner. And, like, all of that terrified him. He, he was put into a building with immigrants, which you can tell because that's when, like, I think Cool Air came out. And that whole book is about, like, this main character who is living with these immigrants and despises them. It's like, okay, dude, chill out. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, <laughs> you know, intent. if you didn't want to live near immigrants, you probably should have gone to New York City. And then, he, yeah, he did move back to his hometown. I don't remember where. And died in... You know, I'm I'm glad that we can still learn something from that, though. Oh yeah, I mean, like, and, and notice and notice those things, and be aware of them. And it was the twenties. Things were very different. It, it's difficult to talk about it now, knowing like, now in this political space that we are, where it's like, we're very educated a lot more than he ever was. So, yeah, I mean, it's easy to point back and say, you suck. <laughs> but, yeah, he did have some bad ideas. He did suck. He did suck. <laughs> he, he did. He yes. sucked. It is very but he easy was a to good, say. He was a good writer, He was a I good guess. writer. But, um, yeah, did, did we have any other Stephen King books we wanted to talk about? I think we hit most of the main ones. And... I, I don't think we have... I know, my the Pet Cemetery one was the one I wanted to talk about for sure. Um, and I already got that in. I well, really want to get it. Someone tell me where to get that book. I've been trying to find it. I, I don't want to order it. off on Amazon. Are you going to lend it to me? I probably could. Oh, yeah. We, uh, you can read House of Leaves, and I'll read Pet, Pet Cemetery. Right. You can have the cursed book. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want the cursed book. Speaking of the cursed book... Um, <laughs> the cursed book... Um, <laughs> We're actually going to um, wrap up our podcast with an interview with um, CMU English professor, Professor Summers. All right. Thank you for joining us, Professor Summers. And um, just thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you all. Of course. All right. First question I'm going to ask is, how did you originally become interested in the horror genre? I haven't the foggiest idea. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, that was probably a good start. Uh, and I'm not being facetious and I'm not making fun of the church. 
Uh, I'm just uh, indicating that uh, if you were raised in a parochial school environment in Chicago, uh, still using you know the Latin mass um, and certainly uh, working with a lot of old school nuns, uh, you know, good old fashioned uh, ruler on knuckle, uh, at least in my case, slappers, uh, you were not spared. Uh, there was no sublimation of the Bible and the Bible has some stories within it that are truly horrifying to a young mind and certainly uh, uh, stories that are filled with uh, anger and vengeance, um, some, some precarious situations that one goes Oh God, why? And people being swallowed by fish, people being turned to pillars of salt for doing nothing more than turning around, crucifixion, transubstantiation. Uh, there, there be some uh, dark things in there for the, the young four to five year old mind to uh, ostensibly try and swallow down. And uh, we, we were uh, a sort of home uh, me meaning the, uh, the Catholic Church and myself, we didn't really have books in my home, uh, but uh, save the Bible. Uh, we read of it and uh, they didn't, uh, again, they didn't really try to make it kind. They, they gave it to us as I think it was uh, originally intended, which uh, like many, many old stories was probably better served for adults than it was for kids. But as a kid, uh, it gave you uh, enough to know uh, and certainly enough to fear, because uh, that's we're still ripe in the old days when uh, God was, of course, uh, a two-part God, uh, the Old Testament God, whereby uh, the the more uh, uh, the more Jewish side, of course, coming from the Old Testament, uh, which was a, a more capricious uh, God who could, on occasion, angrily smite down, at least in frequent translation, over and over, and then the more caring Christian God of the New Testament, who. Uh, send his son to die for us but uh, still die and uh yeah at times that provoked questions and it provoked uh, paradoxes and it provoked just all sorts of things that uh develop into manias and just things like ocd in my particular case so uh while i would love to go and tell you oh i picked up uh, a copy of you know the shining that was just lying about you know right next to the phone book no uh i i uh, I, I was brought up uh, in a, a, a Catholic home, uh, in a Catholic school, and I uh, had a lot of old-timey sorts of fears just built into me, uh, which uh, became warmer as I grew older and uh, made me more interested in this sort of thing. Not necessarily uh, in biblical horror, that terrifies me, uh, but <laughs> realistically in uh, looking at uh, some of the things that allow us to go and say, ooh, that's, that's uncomfortable, and then you, you reconcile, or you don't. So other than the Bible, what would you say was the first like conventional horror literature that you picked up? Uh, hell if I know. Um, I, I, again, raised Catholic, a lot of repressed memories. Um, I'm, I, I can tell you that there are easily some things that, uh, you know, uh, put me off my, you know, off of a lot of things. Uh, I remember uh, seeing Poltergeist in the early 80s and my word, uh, you have to bear in mind that, of course, nowadays we have all sorts of filtration and common sense. But oh, back in the late 70s and the early 80s, good Lord, no, like drop the child off at the movies, whatever it takes to whatever it takes them to get them out of my hair in a, in a single parent household. Sure, I saw Poltergeist. Wow, I, I didn't eat meat, red meat uh, after seeing the maggot scene in there for several years. Um, not at all. E.T., 
Oh my God, that's an Amblin movie. That's Steven Spielberg. A phone home. Yeah, right, right, right. Cool. So E.T. dies, spoiler alert. He dies real bad. Like, oh, Elliot, love you. Kiss, kiss, etc. And then the government comes in because let's so let's get let's get a lot of yours. You'll lose your friend. Um, you'll lose your family. You'll have the government come in, throw a saran wrap around your house. I was a big X-Files kid later in life. Had no idea where it came from. Came from E.T. Uh, and they'll kill your best friend. And then thankfully he'll come back and then he'll you know, abandon you. There's no E.T. Uh, came back to check in on Elliot. Nope, nope, just going home. It's fine. Um, by way of books themselves, I think I actually, a, a lot of uh, Edgar Allan Poe, which is quaint by comparison, uh, much more high, uh, I, I don't want to say high literary, but at the very least, by comparison to the things I just described, significantly more um, attenuated, perhaps, to the literary mind there. Let's go that way, as opposed to just, you know, Elm Street, which I just watched the other day, which is hilarious. Seriously, go back and watch, I think it's 84, 85, somewhere in there. Might even be earlier, probably. Um, the original Wes Craven, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's hilarious. Uh, because oh it's Wes Craven. It's being funny. Uh, not being funny, being funny, being spooky. But, you know, within 15 minutes, you got your first kill. And it's like, <laughs> it almost looks like, I mean, if they were going to recast it today, you'd have Jim Carrey do it. Because he's not quite, you know, hilarious yet or as he was in two and three by dream warriors but uh, robert anglin is still catching it for it, and he's he's younger so he's he's got ridiculous you know his face comes sliding off and all that jazz uh yeah the slasher movies i think you did with my uh, colleague and friend william wanless earlier a lot of that stuff as well and i do consider that literary i did happen upon a copy i believe i'm trying to remember which exact uh stephen king it was and it might have been it, and that, that'll mess you up as a small child. Uh, again, you know, one of the great things about parochial school is that you really, really, really learn to read quickly, and they weren't really tamping down so much on what exactly you should be reading. So you stumble upon something, you start reading it, and you go, oh my god, and then the nightmares, right? And well, you know, nightmares are fun, especially the ones that you can't wake up from, you're like, <laughs> broad hell. Yeah, yeah, 70s and 80s. We, we literally just speaking scared children as an effort to both make them not go to bed and simultaneously uh, require more. So there, there might have been more literary fare in there, but, uh, you know, if, you, if I'm not going to say, oh, I picked up Shirley Jackson because that sounds better. And now I'm a professor. No, 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 no. I, I, I had Cinemax. That was good enough. Well, you had Edgar Allan Poe, which, you know, they teach in schools now. First time I read Poe was in class. Yeah, no, not, same to an extent. I mean, the school library didn't, you know, pull these things out, but that was where I, I found it. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of books around my house. Uh, and uh, I, I did have a lot of access to the school library, which was where I just pulled things off shelves that looked uh, uh, really, really good old fashioned upsetting. Uh, and and Poe's Poe's mighty literary. Of course, he's literary. He's, you know, one of the foundational figures of American literature. But I mean, I think some of the the really crazy bent minds that did like choose your own adventures, you know, things that were attenuated to children. Like what would happen if you were five minutes out of sync with the rest of reality? Like, sorry, shit, what you say? Yeah, you're five minutes out of sync. It's like, so I could be walking about through the street thinking all's well, but no, oh, I'm, I'm street pizza. That's cool, that's cool. Who writes this and why? 
Oh, <laughs> right, right. It's the 80s, nuclear war, Reaganomics, all that good stuff. It's good to be scared. If we're scared, we're docile. If we're docile, we'll just stay out of the adult's way. How joyous. And eventually we'll probably listen to New Wave, but you know. Do you think there's a horror novel that should be taught in classrooms and added to the curriculum? Yes, all of them, most of them. Just, uh, I, I, I am not big on, on, on canonization. I am big on uh, rotation. Uh, I'm a big fan, of, as, particularly in, if we're talking college, goodness, we, uh, just, just keep going. There's just too many good things to read. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where if, if you have time to repeat a text, you're probably missing out on some good new ones. Um, uh, I, I think when we were talking earlier on, uh, initially uh, I wanted to go and uh, really dig into some Chuck Wendig, uh, which some folks might know uh, from doing, uh, he's the cat that came up with, um, oh, it's the, it's the dude's name from uh, the Boba Fett show. Um, oh, it's the guy that's got Boba's armor initially. I can't think of his name now. I'm a bad nerd, forgive me. Uh, but he came up with that character. He did a lot of good Star Wars books, but he does horror magnificently. And he did one particularly ominous little, you know, nasty that dropped right before the pandemic that, again, spoiler alert, looks remarkably like he's some sort of prophet to the pandemic. And you're like, why? And nobody should pick up Wanderers until they feel a little bit more okay, but we're getting, getting closer to that point. And it is a sequel coming out. Um, there, there's such good conventional horror. He, had, uh, he just has so many good, frighteningly, terrifyingly, ugly, nasty things. And, uh, you know, I could tell you that as much as I could tell you, or you could pick up Kindred, because that's, that's low-key terrifying. It's not low-key, it's just terrifying. Or a lot of works of Octavia Butler, et cetera, et cetera. But my advice would be, don't worry about, um, about being literary. You know, if just go traipse about and say, do I want to read, I don't know, do I want to go and read, you know, uh, William Peter Blatty's Exorcist, or do I want to go and pick up, you know, the original Thomas Harris Red Dragon or Silence of the Lambs where you get Hannibal Lecter? Do I want to pick up the Benchley Jaws? You know, do I want to pick up The Shining, which uh, I will tell you, uh, much like a lot of those early drug-filled books from uh, Stephen King, probably five, six hundred pages too long, but those five, six hundred pages of, you know, good coked out madness really, really help you to produce those madnesses. And then 30, 40 years later, you get something like Dr. Sleep, which is sublime by comparison. Uh, my, my thought would be, you know what? Go and find something that makes you generally uncomfortable as long as you're a nice, reasonable human being. Uh, if you are a possibly not right with yourself, not comfortable, maybe hold off on this and you know, go watch My Little Pony Friendship is Magic for like seven or eight seasons. Get to that good place and then unsettle yourself. I'm not even kidding about that. I watched that with my kids. Terrifying stuff. Maud, rocks, poetry. Uh, it, it, it's, it's basically an English major. Uh, but realistically speaking, it's one of those things where it's nice to go and say, okay, I can go when I'm feeling wellish and pick up Let the Right One In, which is one of the better vampire books. I think that's just been written in the past uh, 50 years, maybe. That's like a 2008 book, I want to say. Uh, famously done as a movie, famously redone uh, by the auteur of the Batman into Let, uh, Let Me In. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of things, uh, here, I'll try it like this. You can go out and you can find Rosemary's Baby or The Ring or Shining or Nosferatu, all these things. 
And you can go and watch these movies and some of them work better as movies. Jaws is brilliant as a, a movie. Uh, Spielberg understood the idea of uh, not showing you what you're afraid of and that makes it twice as frightening. And then you could go back and you could read them because you'll feel comfortable, but maybe you'll surprise yourself with how uncomfortable you can really be because your mind is really the best movie theater that you have because anything that some old fart that's 50 to 60 years old thinks is going to be scary and it'll have too damn much CGI and, you know, ridiculous blood or possibly be done by, you know, Zack Schneider or something along those lines. Okay, cool. You know your own psychoses. If you really, really want to upset yourself and if you can invest in one of these things, you pick up something and let the words fill your brain, activate those centers of your mind that really know you better than you do, you can really frighten yourself. And the joy of horror is that in the event you get frightened, you take it and you close the book. Now you have to go to sleep eventually and your unconscious mind can of course say, <laughs> no 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 we're not done I, this is my playground your body oh, no no watch this ah! and then you know realistic no Damn. we wouldn't read this stuff if it if it didn't make us feel things and a lot of times it's um a controlled sense of fear right uh, it's it's good to allow ourselves to walk. Uh, if you've ever been to the Harris Tower in Chicago, correctly the Sears Tower, uh, they have this wonderful glass box that just sticks the hell out of uh, some ridiculously high floor. It's it's ostensibly it's glass. That's all it is. It's it's heavily reinforced. But you can walk out, and you're ostensibly just you're just up in the air. And if you just look out and look down, you should never look down, but you look down, you're looking thousands of feet down and you're in the middle of the air. And if you're like me, not necessarily scared of heights, but more terrified of falling or exploding upon, you know, hitting that sort of thing, it's good wet your pants fun, particularly when you have to remember that that building sways left to right 10 to 20 feet all the time in a steady wind. And you're floating in the middle of nothing. And it's just like, why? Why would you do that? And the answer is because you know you're not gonna die, but you're gonna come pretty close in your mind and nobody really, really jumps for death, bad pun. Uh, and realistically, I tend to think that most people try to avoid that sort of thing. But if you push closer, it's why we do extreme sports. It's why, it's why baseball you know, players step up and let some other man throw 103 miles an hour, a little ball at their face. Uh, and then they get right back up. It's such adrenaline. There's so much serotonin release. It's just, it's, 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 it's this feeling of life, but that threat of death among other things or things worse than, of course, because, you know, I, I'll put it to you like this. I mentioned the Bible and it keeps coming. I'm a, y'all asked me about plugs earlier and I don't have a plug for you for a while, but I'm, I'm rereading this monstrosity. You can't see this at home because this is audio. But uh, this is Sandman. Um, this is the second set, uh, books 20 through 40. Just got through uh, reading. Uh, that's the annotated editions of it. Um, and there's a particular facet in there. You'll maybe see it on Netflix when it comes out soon, where uh, Lucifer, uh, the morning star, the, you know, the first of the fall, and the person who's in charge of hell, ostensibly says, yeah, I'm done with hell. I quit. And Sandman's like, but I came to fight. He's like, that's cute, but I quit. And it opens up this remarkable horror show uh, 
Uh, and one of the reasons he quits is because he keeps getting on human beings like, you know, all those damn humans, all they ever do is complain that I made them do this and I made them do that. And they don't understand that they do this to themselves because they like it. And worse, they like to pay for it, but they don't like to own it. So they blame me and to hell with them, literally. And he just beats feet out. And then you get Lucifer also on Netflix and a wonderful comic in its own right. That's, I think, one of the great things that people don't seem to quite grasp. The Bible says that hell is separation from God for eternity. Uh, realistically speaking, you know, Milton and Dante bring in fire and all sorts of things, or in particular in Dante, it's actually quite cold at the center of hell. Uh, but realistically, most of what we do is what we bring upon ourselves and what we bring to that table. That's the joy of the reading, because without all those pretty pictures, well, you make the pictures and you know what really, really absolutely can make you wet the bed more than anyone else. And if you're into that sort of thing, have at it. Your mind is a terrible place to spend way too much time. I think the pandemic's taught us that. Uh, and realistically speaking, if you read this sort of thing for fun, goodness, you could end up just... Bleh. Again, don't spend too much time there because again, mind is a terrible thing to waste or a terrible place to waste some time. You watch that, go out and watch something mind-numbing afterwards. I think Tiger King is the second season. That seems like a good time. That's a horror of a completely different flavor. So there you go. That's just like a view into the people that visit Walmart. I have no thought on the matter. Walmart is the scariest place on earth to me. Um, no, no I, I, I'm not even just talking about our Walmart. Every Walmart's the exact same. It is, it, it, it may, I, I don't want to offend uh, folks that work and, or, you know, uh, maybe Walmart is a great pleasure. No, no, no. It's, oh my, uh, I, when I think about living deliciously, that is not how I think. Uh, in fact, I think, oh my, everything tastes like paste and shame. No, I'm, I, I'm hard pass. Oh dear, y'all frozen on me, but that's all right. I mean, we've been frozen this whole time. For, for oh, quite neat. Okay. I thought you just were kind of in a, 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 you know, an eternally happy sort of say like, hi. Oh, thank God you didn't get the frozen image that we got. <laughs> oh, I, I have a frozen wedding, but that's okay. That's okay. You're doing great. Um, so I, I can't wait. I really want to talk about House of Leaves. I, yeah. I got to talk about it. I, I need to know how you found it. I literally found it. Um, it was a found thing. So this book is like 22 years old, maybe now, uh, I want to say. And it's one, uh, I, I don't even remember what English department I was in in 2000. It might have been in Missouri. It might have been in uh, Milwaukee, but it was just sitting there. And as a, it, uh, whether it's the original or it's the paperback, it is an ominous black thick text. And uh, it just happens to have the word house in blue. Uh, so it's like, huh, well, that's a, well, that's a thing unto itself. And when you open it up, uh, if you're a fan of, uh, as most people are, French post-structuralism, um, there is the, uh, the great French post-structuralist Jacques Derrida, who between 1966 and 1976 did some of the most important post-structural work, uh, which basically means he wrote some wacky things that literally played with things like typography, layout settings, etc. And uh, if you just open up House of Leaves and you don't have to read it, just flick through it, you're going to see some dazzling, you know, verbal constructs on the page that make you go... <laughs> What madness is this? And that's compelling right there. Uh, when you get into it, into it, when you open up um, 
just the actual first pages of it, you know, it's of course in the English professor's bane. I believe Johnny Truant writes, um, or his, the editors, the fourth unspeaking, um, occasionally speaking uh, narrative in this uh, text. Uh, I think they've rendered him in courier font, which of course any professor will tell you uh, literally between that and comic sans, that is horror seeing those fonts because you don't, yeah, but you get his uh, opening salvo in that, and then it switches over to a new font for Zampano, and uh, the the uh, Navidson records done in a completely different one, and it's you can see them all in there, and it, it, I mean, I, I I don't know, I, I've read some thought and theory on this that uh, it's a, uh, and I believe it to be a to a degree that it is somewhat satirical of uh, academic text because you have fonts or uh, footnotes. Uh, footnoting other footnotes that are actually the main narrative that you need to follow as you go left, right, etc. through this thing. And it's just, it, it looks like a thing that as a literary person you pick up and then you get into it and yes it is, but it also is madness, which is again, very much academia to a degree or another. So I'm fairly certain I just stumbled upon it. I like experimental literature. Uh, I like things that don't look proper. And uh, then I like to see what it does to me. It's usually good things, by which I mean bad. And uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you open it up and it's kind of like, hmm, this actually looks like something that is just really, uh, I, I believe the technical term for this would be an ergodic text, uh, meaning a thing that requires effort of the reader to uh, actually traverse. Or if you would like to take this into a different uh, discourse, it's like Dead Souls. You can play it, but it'll make you work for it. Uh, or Dark Souls, forgive me. And, uh, or uh, Elden Ring, if you want to go that way, but that's a few degrees down. Uh, and yeah, it's something that makes you work at times. And then there's payoff. And there's something a little bit kind of quasi-SNM about it. But to be frank, not many books are really, you know, hitting me with a whip. So, yeah. It was just a thing that was lying there, kind of like it was waiting for me, but I suspect I just stole somebody's book, which is also so much like my character. I um, honestly, I that's kind of crazy and very House of Leaves of just to just dis discover it because um, I know, and I, we didn't talk about the book too much. Um, Tyler has not read it yet. Um, I have not oh. finished it. And um, when I explain this book to other people, it's extremely difficult to explain what it is and sure. and what kind of story you're actually reading and how to how to explain to people how it's just incredibly difficult to read in multiple different ways not just in storyline but you get confused about different characters different storylines but in the way that it's written with all the different authors and it is very academic at times and then flips to whatever Johnny is doing in his life. It's, it's a strange, yeah. and I'm still not explaining it well um, for the people at home, but it's a, it's almost it, like a story within a story. Oh, it's several stories within a story uh, because don't forget, uh, let's, let's take it in order for the folks at home. Uh, you have a cat named Johnny Truant, who is a tattooist who happens to come upon uh, by way of looking for an apartment as one does. Uh, another cat named Zampano, who is uh, kind of an academic, kind of uh, a hot mess, well into his 80s. You've had this professor probably. And he 
has come upon, it's a narrative within a narrative within a narrative. He has come upon something called the Navinson record, uh, which is the story of this family where things ain't going so well uh, in so many ways. And all of this has been collected in this artifact you call House of Leaves, which uh, is of course a thing that was written by Mark Danieluski. Uh, but is attributed to the editors, which is fair because every book has an editor or usually a group of editors. Uh, and the editors are a fourth narrative that are trying to control this thing. And the easiest way that I could probably describe it, it would be uh, if Nicholas Sparks or, um, oh God, who's, I'm a young adult and uh, which cult specialist, I'm sure I remember the, the name of the guy for uh, looking for Alaska. Uh, John Green, uh, if John Green or Nicholas Sparks actually wrote romance as it is, which of course, as we all know, is horror. If you are truly in a, a relationship that is romantic and loving, it's it's terrifying. Uh, it's 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 horror. Well, it's it's Hellraiser to a degree or another. I'm not coming in my wife. I mean, just generally the, the thought and the notion of the matter um, is love is scary. It leads you down scary roads and. You can, uh, I think Jordan Peele gets at this so very well. You can craft after the American dream to discover exactly how nightmaric it really is. And that's what, you know, poor Will Navidson comes by. All he really wanted was a, a nice house with a view and he got a few. They just happened to all be within the house. It, it, it's a house that was a TARDIS. If the TARDIS lost its damn mind or was haunted. Um, yeah, no, and, uh, the more people it touches it, it, the more minds it seems to corrupt. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the very definition of viral to a degree, which it's, you know, it's, it's a virus, but in a monologue or an analog form, I suppose. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really, really, and you happen to be contributive to it, because I mean, the, the more you let it get into your head, the more, at least for me, it starts to mess with you, which is wonderful. I mean, I've read this book two or three times, and the first time I picked it back up for this, uh, the first night, because I read it right before bed, because what, what, what else would you read the thing? It, it gave me nightmares, which... I was genuinely surprised about. Um, I don't really have them that often. And when I do, they're creepy, appropriately enough. Uh, and this thing really, really does touch something within me that I would prefer it not. And I love it. So uh, maybe that says more about me than the book, but yeah, it, it, it's a difficult thing to describe and a wonderful thing uh, to just explore. Uh, for you folk that like haunted houses and you think that you have a good idea of what you're going to, you know, expect, <laughs> go for it. See what happens. Um, it's I'm, a book. It can't hurt you, right? When I, um, I, I feel like this book is deeply personal, though. And when I first, when you, when you told me about the book, I looked it up and I just seeing the pages, I was interested in reading it immediately and owning it. Um, I initially tried to rent it. And um, I looked at the park library. They said they had a copy, but it was missing. So I looked on MCAT to um, look at universities all over the state. There was only one copy available and it was the one from CMU that's missing, which is probably the one you took, you know? Um. No, 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 I'm many, many years ago. I stole mine from either Marquette or someplace in Missouri, either Gothic in their own ways, but uh, no. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's that, that's on point, right? I mean, that yeah. tracks. And um, I, I did end up um, getting it like two days shipping from Amazon. Um, and it said it was new, but in the first few pages of my 
book, there was pencil markings in it. And I was upset at first, but they weren't words, they were just symbols. But later in the book, I was referencing a picture in the back and there was a key and the symbols that were written in the front of the book were on that key. So I don't know if it was a used book or if it was new, but man, that got to me just a little bit, really creeped me out. I still don't yeah, know. Right? But it is, it does kind of lead you down this paranoia. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, it, it leads you to all sorts of fears. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, do, do, uh, do you not like the outside? Because agoraphobia can play in here and claustrophobia will absolutely, absolutely just come out depending upon who you really, uh, really uh, get in touch with in here. For example, I don't want to ruin it, but just trust me when I say claustrophobia will really mess with you at some points in this book. Um, I should plug another one. J.J. Abrams, who couldn't literally write to save his life, uh, he did have hand in bringing something called S, period, which plays with this notion of a book as an artifact. And I would really recommend it. It's not remarkably well written, but it's not meant to be. Just get it and get it new, not old, because if you get it used, you might find things not as they should be. But it plays with the exact same concept that you're describing. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, in many ways, it, it probably would be better to get a hold of a copy that someone has gently used simply because you, you never know what sort of, you know, marginalia you might find and how that might change your reading. I mean, it really brings to notion the idea of reading as an experience and processing as an experience. And it's not meant to be read in a setting. It's meant to be read in many settings. Uh, you could read it at night, you could read it when it's dark, you could read it in a place that doesn't make you feel comfortable, or maybe where you're really comfortable and see how it makes you uncomfortable. Uh, it's a thing, I, I, I strongly recommend it. It's one of the things, you know, I, I, again, I mentioned, I'm, I was a kid that wasn't brought up with a lot of books, and I had to go find them. But it really was a thing unto itself, because uh, it was this notion for me that, you know, in many ways, and again, this comes back to the church just because of my own life, but I think it would work in many ways, whether it's the family unit or whether it's having a puppy. It's this whole notion of things that you take for granted as making you feel good and safe and comfortable, your home, your family, whatever, and then quietly watching as the cogs turn and as you know the sun goes down and watching how all those things can easily become perverted into things that make you not just remarkably uncomfortable, but genuinely begin to tear at, at, at the very thin sinew of exactly what holds your reality together. And when you begin to mess around with that, well, I mean, realistically, I think we all have this notion that we're built on rock hard, you know, foundations. I would tend to think that more often than not, the things that keep us from madness are gossamer thin. And all it takes is just one little to just blow through the cobwebs that hold you in a plummetous fall. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you're just tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. And as the book articulates, well, if you don't hear that rock hit the bottom, maybe it never did. And isn't that a hell of a different flavor? Yeah. Good stuff. Honestly, even when I tell people about this book, they get creeped out. Um, I was talking to my fiance about the Navidson records and um, he was still thinking about it into the next day. Now that was just me telling him about it. 
And I think it does bother people. There's parts about the book that bother you even before you read it, even before you experience it. It's just, it, it, it has an unusual, very cursed presence. And I use the word cursed specifically because that's, that's what I've read online. I feel like people have called this book one of the most cursed books out there. And maybe oh, cursed. Not really what? They need to read more. There's far more cursed things than this. I mean, this is fun. I mean, if we, if you want something to tear your universe apart, that's that's a different sort of thing. But that's yeah. a different show. Why why do you think it's scary? Truly, I think it honestly takes apart the notions that we hold dear. So realistically speaking if you think about where we've been for the last two years part of what has driven people so very mad is the basic fundamental structure of of what an american is you know we work hard we go in if we're sick we get over it etc 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 and in this particular nightmare that we've been living in those things have been turned from things that which we find admirable into things that will punish, hurt, or worse, not just us. We may be spared because of the, the strict nature that, of this thing we don't understand, which is really, I think, at, at the heart of this thing. It's not just unsettling, it's uncertain. And we're not built for uncertainty. We, we strive for certitude, whether it's the pillow we're gonna sleep on at night to the person we're gonna sleep next to in bed, to the grade we resign ourselves in a class. We work towards this idea of a certitude which we find comfort in. Now, if there's some little thing that we might not see or know exists, but you know, it, it's kind of like the boogeyman, it might be out there and it might get us. If it unmoors us, if it takes our foundations and just cracks them enough so that maybe nothing's gonna happen today, but maybe something will happen to tomorrow. Maybe nothing will ever happen, but maybe something will happen towards people that we love. Well, isn't that just a hell? That's anxiety. And anxiety will lead us further and further. I mean, we, it, it, it's, it's such a wonderful butterfly effect, or if you, you know, prefer whatever metaphor you like, a snowball rolling down a mountain. It's just one little twitch that pushes us too far, and then we do the rest. We're the best, best makers of our own madness. And I think that's what this book does. If truant's narrative doesn't get you, maybe Zampano's narrative will. If Will Davison's narrative doesn't get you, well, maybe his brothers will. And maybe if that doesn't work for you, maybe those allusions to his mom, which you can find in a second book, which is an epistolary called the Whalestow Letters, that are an analog to this book, or not necessarily an analog, but a continuation or a companion book, maybe that will get you. I mean, you're basically picking up a thing with an idea that it's, 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 if you don't know anything about it, wonderful. And I've talked too much about it. If I was a better salesman for uh, Mark Daniel Esquia, I would have said, pick it up, see what happens. But um, it's a book that I think you could step into and feel very comfortable right up to the point where you don't. And then the fun begins. And for me, that's the best part is that one of the things that I really, really can't stand about jump scares and all that other whatnot, and there's a vampire in here, or it's going to get you, chomp, 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 chomp it. It's like Dean Coots. It's a, it's a lamp. Oh, it's such brightness. Yeah, indeed. 
Uh, you don't really know where the, the problems are going to come from here, but there are just enough of them or just there's enough of it building in out of you that it seeds it seeds the structure of your own mind to make whatever you got into a mess. And that means everybody else can have a different experience of this thing, which is a remarkably discursive and very keen idea. There are others that do it too, but I think Danieluski serves. And what's worse is you really don't want to put it down. You will, it will exhaust you otherwise, but you really want to make sure that something happens at the end, good, bad, or otherwise. And good luck with that. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Somers. And if you like what you heard, pick up one of his classes. I definitely wish I had. Yeah, that sounds great. I Very cool guy. I would love to have him as a teacher. That'd be awesome. Just thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us and teach us all about all about these different horror books that I don't think we ever would have found interest in without you. Yeah. Now, uh, I think it's time for... The final kill? It is. Um, I know that for my final kill, I would really love, even if you guys just watched the episode of Werewolf of Fever Swamp, I feel like it's a standout episode, um, but the book would be ideal. The book is really, really good. But if you want to see the guy, that the kid that was a werewolf that looked like the kid I went to school with, you should watch the episode. It's on Netflix, apparently. Yeah. If it still is. I don't know. They move stuff around a lot. And um, let me know what your favorite Goosebumps book was. Because um, mine was always Werewolf of Fever Swamp, and it came from beneath the sink. I like the gnome one. I can't remember what it's called, but I like the gnome one. I bet it has a really catchy name. I, I, hope, I hope it does. <laughs> um, I'm going to... I'm going to say The Mist. I haven't read it. I'm going to read it now after this. But... Read it with me. Come on. Or it, Hopefully uh, you go out and buy it and read it. Or at least watch the movie. The movie is fantastic. The movie's great. That is a must watch. I was telling um, Does Tyler not get enough we, credit. Before we were recording, I was telling him um, that I can't wa- I've never watched it twice. I've only watched it once because the ending is... It's, it's a fantastic movie. It's good. The ending will get you. The ending will get you. Yes. We'll not spoil it because it's worth a watch. It's a fantastic Movie and hopefully book. Crossing my fingers, it's a Stephen King book. It's got to be good, right? Yeah. Well, that was the literary horror episode. Um, thank you so much for joining our discussion of literary horror, and we hope we didn't scare you too much. Yes, and if you would like to tell us your favorite Goosebumps book, maybe um, go to our Instagram at creepy underscore culture, both with K's. Um, We hope to see you again when we talk about some other horror topic. Yeah, until next time. And don't say you'll be right back, because this is a horror movie, baby, and you know you won't be back. Come on. I'll be right back. (laughs) Ha 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 ha.